Hey, everybody. Good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, as always, Jacob Robery, and I'd just like to take a minute to welcome you all to the show. Those of you who may be stumbling upon us and tuning in for the first time, we would just like to tell you welcome. And for those of you who tune in on a weekly basis, we really appreciate it, as always, for you to join us. We have a lot to talk about, folks. Uh, you know, today is the official ending of the Louisiana waterfowl season for 2021. Um, and if you tune into last week's show, we mentioned that we uh, we thought we had wrapped up. Let's just say that we thought we had wrapped up the season last week, or at least I thought I had wrapped up the season last week. Um, as we had made a hunt over at our camp in the Atchafalaya Basin. But fast forward to this week, uh, my oldest son, um, Jackson, who many of you listen to the show on a regular basis, you're familiar with Jackson. Um, Jackson's birthday was this weekend, so uh, he turned 12. We had mentioned that he was turning 12, and he asked, he said, Dad, he said, I'd love to take a uh, one last hunt, maybe a trip to go on a hunt trip and let's make one more hunt before the season ends. So we went ahead. We we did that today and I'm really, really glad we did. We had we ended up having a pretty good hunt this morning. Um, we killed a, a nice strap of, of wood ducks today. And uh, I'm sure many of you who hunted all the way to the end, you guys wrapped it up today as well. Kind of the weather was kind of kind of you know just Nasty. It was real warm this morning. The high was right around 65 um, degrees when we left here in Gonzales this morning and headed over to our to our hunting area. And uh, they had a rain come through when we left the house. We, you know, public land hunt. Those of you who public land hunt, you know well what I'm talking about. A lot of early mornings, you're leaving real early. And uh, we rolled out the driveway right around 3 o'clock this morning. And we had, we had quite a bit of rain in the area here in Gonzales. Um, so we did have some showers move through the state last night. Um, so many of you that hunted this morning, you probably had to deal with it a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's just something that typically after it rains, you get those showers and you get that, you know, clearing, which is what the forecast was calling for. Um, we've been very blessed this year. It seems like th that was some of our better hunts when that, that weather shifted like that. Um, especially like those south south winds, southwest winds, which is what we had this morning. It, uh, it really seemed to get the wood ducks moving this morning in the area we hunted, and uh, and we were able to put together a, uh, a nice strap of birds. Uh, Jackson, I'm really proud in particular with him because today he actually got his first ever limit of wood ducks on his own. Um, so as a father, I was real proud to see that happen. Um, and I'm talking about some beautiful Drake wood ducks. We had one hen um, in the group, but nice, big, fat, beautiful wood ducks. So it was really a good way to end the season. I'm sure a lot of you are like we are. We are exhausted. We are tired, not only from a mental standpoint, which we've talked about all throughout this season with the podcast shows that we've done, but uh, it was a mental grind, but it was, it's always also a physical grind. And, guys, I'm not getting any younger as I get older. I'm, it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm fatter. I'm out of shape uh, more than I used to be. I'm just getting older. And to hunt public land, it's a grind on the body. It just is. Uh, I feel it more and more. It seems like at the beginning of the season, I really feel it, those first couple of hunts. And then it kind of, uh, you know, I kind of get into shape for the season as far as hunting goes. And then, um, toward the end of the season, if you go all the way to the end, guys, those of you who hunted up until today or if you were in the west or coastal zone up until last weekend, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So um, it, it was, a like we mentioned on the show last week, uh, definitely a, a tough season, both mentally and physically. Uh, it has been a grind, but at the end of the day, it's all worth it. And uh, and it's it's a lot of good memories to carry over into next season. So, um, you know, there's a lot of news that's that's been out there, uh, you know, and, and this when I was looking at topics for this show to do, uh, there's some current events that are going on out there right now in the waterfowl world that I felt I just have to touch on. Um, those of you who have you know, been on social media and listening to the national headlines. 
Um, there's there's a story that broke earlier in the week this past week on Monday, um, you know, out of Tennessee, a, a small town of, of Tiptonville, Tennessee, um, and an area called, you know, Real Foot Lake that's well known for water waterfowl hunting um, here in the United States. It's, it's in the Central Flyway, so it's a place that I've heard of before, and many of you who uh, are familiar with, you know, Real Foot Lake, it, there's some stories and some, you know, a lot of rumors and a lot of information that came out this week in regards to, you know, this, you know, story that broke. And guys, you know, if you haven't heard about it, we're, that's we're going to kind of fill you in on what happened, kind of walk through the scenario of what we had. But, you know, I really did not want to do this show and talk about this topic until you know, more information came out because let's just be honest, you know, you get on social media and there's a lot of, when, when something like this of this magnitude hits, there are a lot of rumors that go around. Um, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of, uh, you know, quotations, fake news, uh, you know, so there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff that breaks that isn't necessarily the case all the time, you know, a lot, people always kind of look and, and expect the worst and they always kind of lean toward the worst side. That's just how we are as humans. But uh, for those of you who haven't heard, or even if you have heard, um, I mentioned that some news broke on Monday. Um, there were reports out of Tiptonville, Tennessee, where, where Real Foot Lake is located at, um, that there had been an incident where a couple of hunters had been um, shot um, making duck hunt and had been shot by a fellow duck hunter. Now, when I heard this news, you know, you automatically assume as a waterfowl hunter, as a duck hunter, that, oh, there must have been some kind of a confrontation, which we see all the time, guys. And, and that's that's kind of what, what we talked about in a, a couple of the previous episodes, the cutthroat culture. The cutthroat culture is, is something that I see uh, you know, out there hunting public land, uh, a lot of people being attacked on social media that ask questions. Um, just it's the it's the ugly side, of it, the ugly side of the sport, what I like to call the ugly side of the sport. Uh, and I talked a little bit about it last week, but when this story broke, it, it, my first you know thoughts and reaction was that wow, they must have had a serious you know argument something must have happened um to where it got so heated that it got it got out of hand and things just got carried away um and if you look at all the initial reports that the media outlets in that area broke and that social media had going on that's what it would lead you to believe is that there must have been a big argument so just a little background on the surroundings of where this this event this unfortunate event took place um, like I mentioned, it's located, Real Foot Lake is, is, is located in the Central Flyway, Mississippi Flyway. I'm sorry, Mississippi Flyway. Um, you know, for waterfowl, it's well known for its fishing. It's a state park, uh, a lot of camping access. Um, so there's just a lot of outdoor activity access that uh, Real Foot Lake has been known for and Real Foot Lake State Park has been known for through the years. Um you know, it's located, if you look at it on the map, it's located in the northwest portion of Tennessee. Uh, much of the lake, ironically, is swamp, which is perfect for duck hunting, obviously. Um, but, you know, from the from what I've read about it, and I did a lot of research this week on, on the area, um, just to kind of have my facts as, as you know, much in a line as I could. Uh, it's, one of, it's an area that, believe it or not, guys, for those of us here in Louisiana, it's almost like, a portion of what we hunt down here in Louisiana in Northwest Tennessee. Uh, it's very similar surroundings as far as the uh, the terrain goes. It's it's cypress tree bottoms, it's ridges, uh, it's shallow water. So it's a perfect storm for duck hunting and waterfowl hunting. Um, now, you know, like I mentioned, it is well known in that area of the world for its waterfowl hunting. They have, you know, quite a bit of success throughout the years and it's a popular area. So anytime you get a, a, a area like that, that's, you know, public, it's, it's got good duck hunting. Um, you're going to have an influx of hunters. You know how that's going to go down. And 
the more hunters you have, the more opportunity. Unfortunately, nowadays, it seems like you start hearing stories similar to this, um, not necessarily to the extent that this particular story went, but you hear those nightmare stories hunting public land. And, and look, before I get into all the details of, of this particular story, guys, I just want, want everybody to know, you know, this is not just this area. Um, you know, Real Foot Lake has had a phenomenal name, uh, you know, through the years. It's been a destination where a lot of good, you know, waterfowl, fishing, camping, all that stuff. So for them, you know, from what I saw this week, there was a lot of a lot of outlets out there trying to, you know, portray Real Foot and, and this area as an area that's been a trouble spot throughout the years. And from what I could gather and what I've read, everything I've seen, uh, it, that is not the case at all. So I don't want that misinformation to be put out there because I've personally never been there. But from everything I'm reading, from the hunting reports to, uh, you know, fishing reports and all that type of stuff, this is just a, a, a great, uh, you know, uh, reputation area that that's out there in northwest Tennessee. So. Uh, I'd like to say that the, a lot of the stuff that we heard where it was problem areas and they've had trouble before, that's probably not the case any more than it would be anywhere that we hunt uh, here in Louisiana or anywhere that you guys hunt in your state if you listen. Um, so I'd like to debunk that from what I've seen uh, you know, and, and what I've read out there because it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. And we have no right to be labeling that area uh, and that specific state park or, you know, uh, you know, duck hunting reservoir as that if it's not the case. That's not for us to judge, especially those of us who have never been there. But the accomplices involved in this particular deal, it's just it, it is a it's an absolutely intriguing story. I have to be honest with you. Uh, you know, all throughout this week, police were on the lookout for a 70 year old gentleman that was involved in this incident by the name of David Val. Uh, he was being sought after, uh, after in, a, in allegedly there was a, a murder, or I hate to say that, but that's that's exactly what it is. David Val was being sought after by authorities this week after murdering two other waterfowl hunters that he came in contact with uh, through on Monday, the incident occurred. Uh, since then, I can't tell you guys if you've kept up with the story. He is no longer being sought after. Uh, he has been found. They actually located his body over the last couple of days. Uh, and, and he himself was dead whenever they found him. Uh, now, this gentleman, it, which makes this story so ironic, is that, you know, Authorities released information this week saying that he is a, he was a prominent businessman in this particular area. Uh, he never had any kind of criminal record whatsoever. Uh, you know that 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 showed up whenever they ran the backgrounds on him and stuff like that. But when the incident occurred, he apparently fled on foot, um, and he left the boat. That he had came in, and he also left his vehicle was remain, you know, still in the launch where he had launched the boat, uh, and he fled on foot. And authorities were looking for him throughout the week up until the time that they found his body yesterday or day before. Uh, but the gentlemen that were involved in the incident, along with him, were 26-year-old uh, Chance Black and 25-year-old Zachary Grooms, and. The way the report initially broke was that they were allegedly shot and murdered by Mr. Val on, Jan on Monday, January 25th. So when this story broke, like I mentioned, guys, you hear something like that, you automatically think in confrontation that just went wrong, got out of hand, went too far. Um, and as it turns out, as we'll get into the, you know, the, the details as the weeks pass by, um, you know, I think you're going to see a different side to the story because. Uh, I followed this story, like I mentioned, very closely this week. Uh, you know, there is another a fellow podcast show that, that I do listen to uh, from time to time um, called Back to the Lodge. For those of you who haven't heard of it or you, you may have heard of it, you may be following it. 
And those guys are located right there in uh, in Tennessee, right around where Real Foot's at. They have a lot of experience. Um, these guys all seem to be very good guys. They're ex-military that host this podcast. Um, and from what I gathered, from what the information that they provided and what they know, uh, you know, is that it wasn't at all what people think. It wasn't a confrontation type scenario. And there's a lot more to the story than, than that's going to come out than what's being said and what's being put out there on social media right now. But the two gentlemen who were involved, how sad for, you know, these young men to have lost their lives over whatever occurred, um, you know, in, in this particular situation, because God, you know, they haven't even started their lives. You know, I, I look back at I'm 41 years old right now and at 25 and 26, when I was duck hunting, I didn't have a care in the world. I was loving life. I was living life to the fullest. Uh, that was before I had children. And you just out there for the thrill of it. You, you, you probably, these two young men probably have that drive to go out there and they want to make as many hunts as possible. Um, you know, and probably just living life, enjoying the outdoors. So for them to lose their lives in a situation like this is just something that I could never even relate to. And probably many of us would not ever be able to relate to or never will be able to relate to. Uh, Mr. Black uh, was a manager in the gun department of a local hunting store right around Union City, Tennessee. So obviously he was a you know an outdoorsman. He, uh, his his career was in the outdoors. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned, they probably live and breathe waterfowl hunting and outdoors just like many of us do. Both men, it's you know, were stated as being avid duck hunters, which is no surprise. You know, here we are late in the season. These guys are still out there grinding just like we have been. And they were out there just going for a day in the blind, you know, hopefully trying to spend some time with each other. And, uh, and kill a few ducks. Uh, so, you know, it's just, uh, you, at some point you had a loss of words on, on what you've heard and how the story broke and, and just, you know, you put yourself in their situation and their family situation. And it, it's just something that that is absolutely devastating for everybody who's in the outdoor community, to be honest with you. Now, what did break and, and what is, considered to be a fact was that there was a third hunter. They had a friend of theirs, Mr. Jeffrey Crabtree is the gentleman's name, um, that was with them when this incident occurred. Um, and from what I have gathered is Mr. Mr. Crabtree was actually a, uh, an older gentleman. Um, he was the friend of one of the, uh, one of the victim's fathers. So he had known them his whole life. Um, they were almost like sons to him from what I, from what I gather. Um, and he was also involved in the incident. He was a witness to what happened in this particular incident. And you can only imagine what he has gone through, um, having seen two, these two young men lose their lives. Um, now, I, you know, a big part of me talking about this story when it broke, I've been gathering information, like I mentioned, I was going to kind of, you know, detail out what had been released out there about as far as the uh, the man, the gentleman, Mr. Val, approaching the blind because of a dispute um, over either ache that they were calling birds off of him or they had shot a bird that he was trying to shoot. Um, that was the rumors that were coming out this week, guys. And, and from what I, I could gather from the details as this thing is unfolded is that that was not at all the case. It was never about any of that. Um, you know, I think as we get the details to this situation. I think it, it could possibly be, and this is just my opinion, but it could be, uh, you know, a, a case of mental illness. Uh, you know, Mr. Val could have had a case of mental illness that caused him to do something like this because you start putting the details together that are true and that have been confirmed. You know, this gentleman didn't have any kind of history of a criminal history. Um, and, you know, was obviously an avid outdoorsman himself. Um, they had reported that he was a waterfowl hunter that frequented this area quite often. So, guys, you, you just look at the, the, you know, common sense facts right here of what, what's been 
you know, released and what you see here, and you don't you don't see something that um, is right as far as the 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 mental capacity, you know. Um, the, after I kind of got past all the rumors and all the the facts that are the supposed facts that were out there of this particular story, you could definitely see it kind of leaning more towards uh, a mental disorder or you know something of that sort. So it's gonna be it's gonna be very important that I think you know um, when the Tennessee Wildlife and Fisheries and uh, you know your police. Everybody involved in that area that has information and did the work on this particular case, I think it's going to be very vitally important and very important that they go into details as far as what their their you know um, their investigation finds, uh, because I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I think it's going to clear up a lot of the rumors that are out there. Um, and I think I think it's something that needs to be done in order to provide the families of all that were involved with the the justice, not only the justice, but the uh, you know the peace of mind to know that you know the facts are out there of what actually happened. So it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see over the next couple of weeks or months when this unravels and you get more information. Um, heading into Monday tomorrow, I think we'll probably get more details this week. Uh, to see kind of how this unfolded. And I know a lot of people, including myself, are out there watching right now and listening very closely because, you know, even though this is far away from many of us, uh, you know, especially us here in Louisiana, it, this hits home. This really does hit home, guys. It, it, you know, we're all outdoorsmen, and at the end of the day, we're a big family. Whether you're in Canada, you're, you know, in wherever you are, bum. You know what, Egypt, you know, it could be wherever you are. This hits home for all of us as outdoorsmen. And, you know, you have to put yourself in, in their situation. You know, there's with all this information out there that's that's false and the rumors going around, it's just not doing justice for the families of, of these victims. It's not, you know, doing justice for the family of Mr. Val. You know, that's something that you haven't heard people talk a lot about this week. Well, you know, yes, this man you know, people automatically are going to look at him and say, oh, my God, he's a cold-blooded murderer, which obviously he was in this situation. Uh, but he has family, you know. Uh, I'm sure he has kids and, and his grandkids, you know. And, and what's all this misinformation, you know, do for his family? Because they're not the guilty, you know, victim. they're not the guilty uh, persons in this situation. So, you know, we got to make sure that we – when you see all these rumors flying out there of what happened in this situation, yes, it's intriguing because it's it's not something you see on a, on a normal basis as outdoorsmen for sure. Um, but like I mentioned before, we are in a culture right now, in my opinion, as outdoorsmen, that's a cutthroat culture. And what I mean by that is there is a lot of good out there, but there's also a lot of bad because there's a lot of attacking going on of other hunters. There's confrontations out in the field, which, you know, that has happened for generations and generations. But especially now with the influx of hunters we have nowadays in the field, um, public land seems to be shrinking quite a bit. And the influx in hunters seems to be kind of widening. Um, but, you know, when you have all these new hunters coming to the sport and, you know, they hop it online and they're asking questions and they're trying to get information and they just constantly get attacked. You know, it's just not, it's not a good thing. You know, you got stories coming out this season, just this season alone, you know, of people burning down blinds, which is, look, this is nothing new. I'm not saying it's nothing new, but now with social media, this stuff is, is even magnified more and more. And that's kind of the point I'm making here. Uh, you know, social media, I've already I've talked about that. It could be a blessing. I mean, it, but it could also be a curse. Uh, you know, without social media, our show wouldn't be able to reach you who are listening right now. Uh, so in that instance, it's a blessing for us. Uh, but it could turn it could turn the opposite direction in a hurry. I've seen people, you know, make the ugly comments and make dirty comments. And I've talked about that. So we as as outdoorsmen have got to 
come together. I think something like this here in a story like this is going to bring a lot of people together as a community, as an outdoor community, as a hunting community. And, and to be honest with you guys, we don't need our community under any more magnification nowadays than what it already is, especially with the lawmaking decisions going on in the country right now. Um, we're, we don't need to give them any kind of ammo or pun intended, I guess, right there, but any kind of ammo to fuel the fire of, you know, taking away our rights and taking away guns and banning certain ammunition and magazines and all this stuff. Incidents like this can only hurt us as a outdoor community and as hunters, in my opinion. So, you know, when stories like this come out, it's never a good thing for any of us in the community whatsoever. But, you know, we we just we have to take a step back and kind of reevaluate where we are. Um, you know, when we out there in the field and we have our kids and we're teaching our kids, we have to we have to step back whenever we can. That opportunity comes up to get into a confrontation over something like that. We're going to have to just step back, take, take a deep breath and take the hard road because, you know, an incident like this, it, it's just I mean, you know, it can happen to any of us. Um, you never know nowadays who you are dealing with when you when you're out there in the public. Uh, you know, like I said, this gentleman, Mr. Val, seventy year old man. I mean, a seventy year old man would approach me in the duck blind. I would I would have welcomed him with open arms, thinking he wants to you know maybe ask a question, uh, maybe hook up to make a hunt together. I would have, I would never it would never even cross my mind that this man was trying to hurt me or my family, or my buddies that I'm in the bond with. And I'm sure that was the situation for these young men, just like we would think. Um, you know, so it, it, it makes you think. It really does make you think, you know, about it. So, um, you know, from what they say in, in this particular story, Mr. Val didn't really know the young men. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but you know, it seems like there was no relation from what details have come out, come out so far on this particular incident. Um, and like I mentioned, whenever the incident did occur, there was a third gentleman in the blind with him. Um, from what I, you know, this man, you know, this particular gentleman, Mr. Crabtree, God, God bless him. Um, I'm praying for you, you know, personally, I'm praying for you and your family. Um, and all the families involved. I don't have to even say that because, I mean, all of us should be praying for these families. But, you uh, you know, th what a hero th this man was. You know, from what from what the details lead to, it seems as though Mr. You know, Mr. Crabtree or the third gentleman in the blind, uh, once the, these two young men were both shot, uh, you know, there were reports that he went, he attacked the, the shooter and he took the gun away and this and that. And, and from what I could gather, you know, from listening to it throughout the weekend fold, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, but, you know, what would you have done in that situation? He, you know, you think about it, you know, he had a firearm, you know, the, the, uh, you know, Mr. Val had a firearm. Why didn't he shoot him? You know, why didn't Mr. Val get shot? Um, and from what I could gather from, you know, listening to the, uh, the podcast, in, you know, of the gentlemen I mentioned earlier that are in that area, they know these, these people on a personal note. Um, you know, he said he just couldn't do it. He could, he had the opportunity from what it sounded like, and he just could not shoot the man or pull the trigger. So, you know, what would we have done in that situation? It's absolutely, absolutely. Uh, had to be gut-wrenching for this man. Uh, but what a hero he was to do what he did. Uh, you know, from what reports are is that he, he basically, he, he gathered the two young men that had been shot, put them into the boat, and he, uh, he tried to get them back to a bank or a launch where he could get help. But I think whenever they did get to land and, and, and get some help, it, at that point it might have been too late or – uh, you know, I just, uh, guys, I'm, I'm really, I'm having trouble talking about, about the story, to be honest with you, because 
it is just such gut wrenching to go through these these you know these details of what happened, what occurred. It, it, so even though this is a, a situation and a story that is gut wrenching for many of us to um, you know hear about and listen to the details as they unfold, we have to, uh, in my opinion, you know, take this incident and, and look at it from our own perspective and, uh, you know, compared to the situations that we've found ourselves in before and just, just learn from it. We really have to learn from it. Unfortunately, two, two, you know, two young men lost their lives very innocently um, and a third person lost their life. Um, as a result of this this story that occurred out of Tennessee this week, and it's even you know even though it's gut wrenching, we have got to use it as a learning tool, in my opinion, guys. Um, and I you know I don't want to sit here and preach and, and to you guys because you know we all have our own stories, but man, you know when when I heard the news, like I said, I automatically started thinking of stuff that that happened. Okay, an argument broke out. Um, it got heated and it just got out of hand, you know. How many times have we found ourselves in that situation as hunters? You know, I know personally I have on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, we I was telling a story in one of the episodes of that we did this year where I got into it with a gentleman a couple of years ago at a on a management area here in Louisiana, south southeast Louisiana, Manchac management area. Um, and it was over a blind. Um, you know, even though this story that broke doesn't look like it, it, it's what this compares to, um, I automatically thought about this before the details unraveled. Um, you know, when I got into it, uh, this argument, and for those of you who haven't heard the story, it, it's the typical argument, the way it goes over a bond. We all public land hunting, you know, and, and you have the right to, you know, uh, put up a, a temporary blind and hunt it. You might go brush up a blind. And that was the situation that, uh, you know, this particular management area I hunted has. Um, just like many others across the state. Um, I, I showed up to hunt during the week. I used to have several days off during the week and I showed up to hunt. Um, they had a brush blind that was not occupied whenever we got to the area we were going to hunt. We pulled up in it. We hunted it. Had a very successful hunt. Um, and then, you know, I was off the next day. So I said, Hey, I'm going to go back tomorrow. I'm going to hunt it again. If nobody's there. And the great thing about it is, you know, whenever you have that opportunity to hunt public land, especially during the week, many of you who are off during the week or take time off during the hunt season during the week, you know, that the, the numbers of, of people and the competition drastically drops typically, unless it's a, a you know, a holiday week or, you know, something where everybody's off you don't get nearly or experience nearly the pressure that you see during a weekend hunt. You know, nowadays I hunt weekends mainly, but I can tell you there's way more pressure on the weekends than there is during the week, which makes sense. Obviously everybody's at work most of the time. Um, now with the COVID pandemic this year, it kind of changed things. Uh, a lot of people were working from home. They had a lot of opportunity to be able to hunt during the week. So you did see the couple of hunts I made during the week this year. Uh, you did see more hunters at the boat ramp. But on this you know, particular story and confrontation I had, I, like I mentioned, I hunted the day before, never saw nobody you know, come even look at that blind, nobody around me. Well, the next day we go back, we leave the launch at 4 o'clock, we get to the spot. Once again, blind's empty, nobody's in the blind. So said, so, Awesome, great. We pull up into the or you know, throw out decoys. And then actually the incident occurred with while I was throwing out decoys. Um, you know, we had probably put out pretty big spread. We were in open water. We had put out, you know, right around 50 decoys and just settled up into the uh about to pull up into the bar, into the brush bar. And I had a gentleman come in with a uh with a boat. And he kind of is coming toward us with his light. He's by himself. And I have me and two buddies with me. And, uh, you know, this gentleman proceeds to pull up next to the blind. He says, hey, he says, uh, how y'all doing? You know, and hey, we good. How you doing? And he says, uh, you know, uh, 
if you don't mind, could y'all pick up your decoys? This is my blonde. And I looked at him, and my immediate reaction was like, hey, you know, this is public land, and you weren't here. And he says, yeah. He says, but I was here yesterday, and I hunted, which in, you know, no means at all does he have the right to say, oh, it's my blonde. I had it the day before. Yeah, I hunted it the day before. If he did hunt it the day before, we we got to that spot, you know, uh, you know, that's one of those things you just have to work out as gentlemen. And my initial reaction when he told me that was as the guy was pulling up to the blind before he even said hello to us, I was say I said, when I noticed he was by himself, I was going to say, hey, if this guy's, you know, asking, I thought he was going to maybe ask to hunt with us. And I said, hey, if he asked to hunt with us, we got room, let's let him hunt with us. Well, he pulls up, tells us that this is his blind and he was there the day before. Uh, and hunted it and built it the day before, which was the key phrase that he said. Well, when he said that, I automatically knew the guy was lying. And guess why? Because we were there the day before and we hunted the barn and it was already there. So I told the guy exactly that. I said, look, we hunted this blind yesterday. You weren't here and this blind wasn't built yesterday. I said, uh, you know, we hunted it here and that we never saw another person here. And the guy says, no, no, you got your facts mixed up and this and that. And he proceeded to kind of start, want to start an argument with me. And I got it. After a little while, it got to the point where he got heated. And I told him, I said, you know, not only was I not going to offer at that point for him to hunt with us, but I was pretty much ready to tell him to F off, if you know what I mean, in that situation. And, and that's kind of what we ended up doing. And he said, I'm going to go right down the way right here. I'm going to set up, he said, and I'm going to shoot every time a bird passes over y'all. And I said, you go ahead and do that. I said, we're going to have some major problems. I'm going to come meet you and we're going to talk it out. Well, guys, just that getting heated like it did, it's it went too far looking back at it now. And it, imagine if, if I would let it go further, you know. Um, it, it could have turned out way worse than what that situation did, you know. Uh, and I don't know who I was dealing with. The guy could, you know, you never know. He could have had a, some kind of mental illness. Uh, God could have just been, you know, one of those type of guys that he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to start a confrontation with you and he's going to pull out a gun and he's going to shoot you. You know, I saw a story this year, as many of you did, uh, that the same kind of situation happened this year uh, where these guys got into it over a duck barn. They got into it. They had some guys hunting the blind already. The guy got there, said it was his blind, and uh, they got into an argument over it. Dude pulls out a chainsaw and starts cutting down the blind with the guys in it. I mean, you hear stories like that every year. Every year we hear stories like that, and, and we laugh at it. We, we think, you know, yeah, you'll see it on social media. I think they even had that incident. It was their video of it. They were filming video, whoever was in the blind, filming the guy cranking the, the chainsaw, <clears throat> and he's attempting to cut down the bomb with them in. I mean, what are, what are we doing? That's not what the sport's about. You know, that's not why we're all there. But that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, it gets posted to social media. People like it. They laugh at it. And then you see these, these guys coming up that are learning the sport, and they think that it's okay to do that, uh, you know, because that's what they used to see. And, and then it, trans, it just – it's a snowball effect. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And, and it's not even the younger generation all the time. It's a lot of us older guys that have been hunting for years. Um, that's a lot of times also the other flip side of the coin. You see guys that have hunted these spots for years, and they think it's they own the land, you know? Um, I've had that happen to me before, you know? Well, my family's hunted for generations here. Well, maybe they did, but you're on public land now. It's become a wildlife management area. And as we all know, it's first come, first serve, you know? Now, if, if somebody's – if you pull up and they built a brush blind, and I talked about that this year, you know, and it's a fresh-cut brush, brush blind and somebody gets there early, but you did get there before, you know, if it's me and I really believe the guy had something to do with building that blind, I'm going to get out the blind. I'm going to go find another spot around there. or my first instinct is to ask them, hey, let's get together and let's hunt, you know, let's do that. that that's really the way I see it working out the best for everybody. Um, but that's not the way it always goes down. And oftentimes it's not the way it goes down at all. But, you know, just that incident of me telling you guys what happened to me there, that's, that, that, 
turned out, you know, to where it ended up working out, but it could have it could have went the other way and it could have been a lot worse. Um, you know, another story that I think about is, and I, I, you know, we had an experience years ago. We were hunting up in Marksville, Louisiana, and we, we, we I'm just going to be honest with you. We, we left earlier than the four o'clock check-in time. I believe years ago it was an open weekend at that time, um, and that we the area we were hunting up there it's a it's a public land um, you know reservoir it's a lot of pressure on open weekend and through the years coming up hunting there we'd get to spots and there would be guys that were already there so we knew that people left early um, at this particular area years ago they didn't enforce it a whole lot nearly like they do nowadays. Um, and we went ahead and we left early, uh, you know, to get to, to this particular spot we wanted to hunt. And it was open a weekend. We were hunting open water. Uh, so we wanted to put a big spread. And when I tell you a big spread, we were looking to put about 200 decoys, 300 decoys out. Um, so that was back in our younger days. We had we had the, the energy to do all that back then. So, But, uh, yeah, we, we decided, we said, hey, we're going to have to leave early to put out that size spread. It wasn't necessarily to get the hole that we were trying to hunt or the area that we wanted to hunt. That's not why we did it. It was more because of the spread that we were putting out. You know, with such a large spread, we knew it would take us time, um, and, and we had to have enough time before daylight to be able to do it. So we got out there early. We, we started setting up our spread, and once 4 o'clock hit, we could hear these motors running, you know, running down the bayou towards the lake where we were set up at. Uh, to go to whatever areas these guys wanted to go and hunt. And uh, one boat in particular kind of came towards us. And, you know, they, they they started slowing down. You can see the spotlight. They were shining it towards us. And here we are, you know, just about finished putting out decoys. And we're in a boat, and I can see the spotlight shining up on us. And they looking, and they talking, and I can hear them saying something. And I'm with my good old buddy, uh, Mr. Troy Fontenot. And uh, Troy, hopefully you don't mind me mentioning you uh, in this situation, but it, it's a learning experience that we have, you know. But uh, these guys are approaching us, and, and for those of you who don't know Troy, Troy is, you know, one of my best friends since we've been, you know, children together, coming up hunting, fishing for many years. But Troy's got a temper on him, you know. He'll 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 tell you, he'll call you out on your bullshit if it's if it's something that uh, he feels he needs to call you out on or say something. You know, you're not just going to talk to him uh, without respect. I can promise you that. He's that type of guy. He's got a short fuse on him. But, uh, but these guys are coming at us. I can see them shining in the spotlight. Boy, they, they jabbering, jibber-jabbering, and I can hear them saying But I couldn't figure out quite what they're saying. So as they keep coming closer, it starts getting a little bit clearer. And I hear this one guy turn off the motor. And at this point, our motors are turned off on the boat. And uh, so it's quiet. You know, it's before shooting time. And I hear this guy tell the other guy, he says, there's no fucking way that these guys left at 4 o'clock. And they got this many decoys out already. And I heard him say it clearly. And then a minute later, he, he repeats it again. That's that's fucked up and blah, 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 and this and that. And boy, my, my Troy just about come unglued on that guy. He turned, he said, he told that guy a few choice words. He said, yeah, you fucking right. We work. Here and blah, you know, he he started just hollering at this guy, and the guy shut up immediately. And he, I think Troy literally scared him, is what it was. He, he got so aggressive with him that he scared him. But Troy, Troy's got like I mentioned, he got a temper on him. And the, I heard as the guy was kind of getting out and driving away, he kind of mumbled something, and Troy hollered back at him again. But uh, you know. Yes, we were in the wrong, first of all. The guy was right, uh, to, you know, to definitely call us out on that, you know, on that type of situation uh, because it, it wasn't the right thing to do. We had broke the rule at the time, and, you know. But like I said, this was way back when, when they didn't enforce it. It was a rule, but it wasn't enforced like it is nowadays, you know. But we were still wrong in that situation. You know, nowadays that's something that we, we, we try to – uh, you know, we always follow the guideline for. We want to try to, you know, uh, keep everybody. If we're gonna, you know, if everybody's gonna play by the rules, we want to play by the rules. That's just how it is, you know. And now I got we got our boys with us. We don't want them seeing stuff like that, you know. But you know, my point of that story is that if that guy, 
you know, he mumbled some words back and forth. He was obviously angry about everything. It could have went, you know, it could have went the, you know, south real quick in that situation. But, you know, it, thank God it didn't. You know, we were just lucky enough. But, you know, it could have turned out where, you know, it got really heated. And, and, and honestly, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to see my best friend do something he shouldn't have done. And I wouldn't have wanted to see or see something happen to him uh, that shouldn't have happened to him or me or anybody else that was with us at that time. But, you know, you hear traditionally, guys, uh, you know, places throughout Louisiana and just a few that come to mind that, you know, you hear people talk about all the time, the wax outlet, all the, you know, confrontations that you hear in the wax outlet and the Delta down there, burning blinds, you know, all that type of stuff going on and tearing down blinds that other guys build, um, you know, over the years, Catahoula Lake, um, there's been big time stories come out of those areas, confrontations that have happened. But look, it's not just those areas. Y'all know that, guys. You know, it's that's just some of the ones you hear about, you know, that are, you know, famous, you know, for hearing stories like that. But that, that happens every day, whether it's the smallest piece of property, public land you hunt on, or if it's the largest WMA in the state, it's happening across the state. But we have got to take care of each other as outdoorsmen. And that's where I see this cutthroat culture, what I call it, you know, and, and it's trending that way. And it hasn't always been that way. Um, has there always been confrontations? Yes, there has been confrontations. But I haven't seen it, you know, to the extent where, you know, it's as cutthroat as it's become. And in part, a lot of it's in part to social media nowadays. So that's a big, big deal that I see that is changing our sport. Um, I know many of you have, have messaged us. We've kind of talked about it behind the scenes, um, just stories that have happened to you personally um, and also stories that you've heard from that's happened to buddies of yours and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's something like I mentioned in the last episode when I was closing the last episode out, we were talking about things we'd like to see heading into the 2021 season, um, you know, and in the 2022 season of next year is just some of that stuff improving, helping each other out more and more and more. You do see that you do see a lot of good stories out there. Let me not say that, you know, make it sound like you don't because there's a lot more good. Like I tell my hunting buddies that you see that is bad. But the bad sometimes outweighs the good as far as the attention that it gets, you know, with social media and, um, you know, mainly social media and other platforms. But, you know, it's one of those things that there's a lot of good also going on out there. You do hear stories of guys saying, hey, I lost this. Um, you know, if you find it, can you return it? And you do see stories of people doing that, you know. Um, there was one I saw just this week, you know, at our camp over there at Sherbert Management Area, um, where a guy had lost some decoys and he got some help. The guys ended up returning and finding it and returning it back to him. So there's there's good people out there. And there's a lot of good people out there, more than the bad people, in my opinion, um, in, in our community, in the outdoor community. Um, but it, unfortunately, you just, you know, with, with social media now, it magnifies the bad more than the good sometimes. So, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I just want to say guys, you know, I, I'm sure many of you are like, like me when you heard this story that broke from Tennessee this past Monday. Wow. You know, it's just, wow. That's all I can think of. Holy crap. Holy shit. You know? Um, I mean, man, I just, I, you, you see, you automatically start thinking things. Like I said, the, those thoughts make it to social media. Um, you know, and then from there, it just snowballs. It's like a wildfire, all the rumors that are put out there. But you know what? I think, like I said, I think we're going to really be surprised. Those of us who are following this story, this particular story, I think we're going to be surprised uh, and enlightened and filled in a little bit more as the details, the true details of the story unravel, as the story kind of breaks national news more and more. Um, but just our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody who were, who was involved in this in this incident. Um, you know, not a, the, the families. I can't I can't pray enough for, for the families of these victims. Um, for Mr. Crabtree, who was who was an absolute hero in this situation, um, and, and and survived to to tell the story 
and to see what he saw his two friends pass before his eyes, uh, Mr. Val's family, uh, there's just everybody involved, the community, all of Real Foot, the Real Foot community, uh, the Tennessee community, everybody involved. Thank you to uh, you know all who helped out with this situation, this investigation that were involved. You are all heroes, in my opinion. Uh, I know that from listening to to the Back to the Lodge podcast, which I told you guys is is based out of the area where this incident occurred, uh, they did have a group of people once the barn was cleared this week um, by the authorities to be, you know, cleared out. There was a couple of guys from the podcast that mentioned that they were going to go, you know, these guys were ex-military. They were going to go to the blind. They were going to help out to clean this thing out because, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff, blind bags, I'm sure guns, you know, whatever normal hunting stuff, maybe food items were left in the blind and then it became a crime scene. So, you know, nothing was able to be touched and tampered with until they cleared it later on this week. You know, so they had volunteered to go in and clear it out. And from what I heard and what they said on the podcast is that they had a phenomenal turnout of people that showed up to uh, to help out and lend a hand. So, um, you, like I said, that's the good that you want to hear come out of situations like this. That's the good in our community. That's the people who are there to help. And there's always going to be people like that in times like this, of stories like this that break. Um, so hats off to you, all of you who are involved and helped with the relief effort as far as, you know, cleaning out everything for these, these families and, and bringing some kind of a clarity uh, to what was going on to these families. I'm sure, you know, it's helping out a lot. But I can't tell you enough how, how much our prayers go out to, to everybody involved. Um, and guys, I know there's there's some things being set up right now. Um, I, I'm gonna what I'll try to do is I'm gonna try to post some links once I get more details on it. But there is some uh, some you know relief effort uh, opportunities that are, are being set up right now in order to help the families of these victims. Uh, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to get some information on that and post it up on our social media, up on Facebook, up on Instagram. And, uh, and, and if you guys want to help out, I know I want to, you know, I'm going to try to help out in some form or fashion, whether or not it's reaching out through a, through our podcast to uh, spread the you know information um, or help out any way we can or it's financial. You know, um, we here to help. We want to help. And I'm going to try to, uh, you know, post some information. To where any of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, if you're interested in participating and helping out um, however you see fit or can, um, then we're going to try to give you access to the, the, the correct people who are in charge of it to get to these families. So um, unfortunately, I know it's a little gloomy on this episode, guys, but we couldn't do this show this week without talking about this particular story. Um, and it just brings up, like I said, a lot of memories on, on us that we've been through, um, stuff that we've heard. Um, and, and that term keeps coming to my mind, cutthroat cut culture. Um, I just, you know, I, I want to I wanna be the opposite of that personally as a human being, as an outdoorsman. I'm sure many of you, that's your, that's your goal as well. You want to be, you don't want to be the, 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 the side that's, you know, talked about in a negative way. Um, so let's let's just get out there. Let's take care of each other. Um, and I think we'll all just be better off as a community because, you know, going back, like I said, you, we don't need any more heat on us with all the legislation and stuff they're trying to pass nowadays. We do not need, no, need those magnifying glasses put on us as outdoorsmen. You guys could agree on that, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, when situations like this happen, it gives it more fuel for the fire. Um, you know, and, and, and we have to fight even harder as outdoorsmen to protect our rights and to protect what we have, the little bit that we do have. Um, so let's just do our part. Let's keep it, you know, keep it civil. Let's keep it fun. Let's uh, let's not get away from what this is all about, spending time with our families, our friends, uh, making memories, you know, out there in the field. And I know I know a lot of people in the, in the duck hunting community and the outdoor community are hurting with, with this story coming out. But we're going to have brighter days ahead, I promise you. 
Um, there's a lot of good, I think, that's going to come out of this situation um, in the name of these two young men that, you know, ultimately lost their lives. Um, but I think there will be some good that comes out of it <clears throat> at the end of the, the story, you know. So, but yeah, guys, wrap, you know, kind of going back, wrapping up the duck season here in Louisiana, we are, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're like everybody else. We're wore out. We're ready to kind of start focusing on some, uh, maybe getting on the water, doing some fishing. I know we're going to uh, do some fishing here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And for those of you who tune into the show on a weekly basis, we, uh, we're going to keep it rolling all through the summer. Uh, you know, and we're going to keep you guys informed. We'll do some fishing podcasts. I got some guests that are uh, scheduled that we're working with right now in the fishing community here in Louisiana that we're going to uh, think you guys are going to really enjoy. Um, and, guys, I did not get to – with all the stuff going on this week, I did not get to mention them, but we were able to pick up a new sponsor that I'm super excited about working with this year, um, Mr. Chris Thornton over at Cajun Tackle House out of Morgan City, Louisiana. Cajun Tackle House um, is a company that we've been using for many, many years. Uh, their products out in the field on the fishing side of things. And uh, Chris and I were talking this week, and he said, man, I really want to get involved with y'all on the podcast. I like where y'all going with it, and I want to be a part of it. He said, we want to help, uh, we, we want to help spread the, uh, the news of what we got for anglers out there and outdoorsmen in Louisiana and surrounding states. He said, we want to be a part of the podcast. So he said, we enjoy listening to the show. Um, so I thank him for that. And, uh, and we are glad to have them on board because they make some phenomenal fishing lures, um, you know, whether it's jigs, spinnerbaits, uh, fishing rods. Chris is into making custom fishing rods now through Cajun Tackle House. So we, we got some stuff planned. We, we hashed it out. We talked about it. We're going to get together. We're going to go down to Morgan City. Uh, this spring, probably, we're going to do a podcast episode from their shop there in Morgan City. So looking forward to that. Um, and guys, a new sponsor that we had re recently picked up, Wrapping Up Cajun Customs, my buddy Romeo Mamalo out of uh, Slidell, Louisiana. If you're looking to wrap a, a gun or give your gun a new look to it, maybe you have a black synthetic or wood, you're trying to protect it. Um, you know, you, you wanted it. You wanted that camo pattern when you bought that shotgun, but you uh, you didn't want to pay the premium price tag for it. Go check out the guns that Romeo has done over the last couple of weeks for us. Uh, rifle shotguns. He's going to be doing a, a 20 gauge pump shotgun for Jackson tomorrow. You talk about amazing work that Romeo does. He can wrap it in any kind of camo that you want for your gun. Um, he just did an AR yesterday for a gentleman. That was wrapped with the American flag. I mean, just, just it's fucking badass. It's awesome looking, and it's very, very affordable. Uh, hit us up for messages, and we can get you in touch with him. Uh, but we do, we do share some of his posts on our Facebook page and our Instagram page, so you can get his phone number. Give him a call; he'll give you a quote based off of the gun you want wrapped. And this is like high quality; does not fade, does not peel. It's going to last years and years and years, and it's going to protect your investment, guys, and give it a badass look, I have to admit. So check them out on Facebook, Wrap It Up, Cajun Customs, our good buddy Romeo Mamalo. And as always, we always talk about every episode, Anchor.fm, which is our podcast host. Without Anchor FM, we would not be able to reach you guys. We wouldn't be able to be talking to you right now. The, the Anchor FM is how our podcast gets to you to listen to, whether it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Anchor.fm itself, any of your streaming platforms that you hear our podcast on, it is because of Anchor.fm that we are able to get it out there to you. And as always, Beaver Creek Game Calls, Patrick Erkfitz, if you, you know, spring turkey season coming up, Patrick will build you a custom turkey call. That is awesome, quality, handcrafted, American-made. Look them up on the web, beavercreekgamecalls.com. You will not be disappointed. Tell them the guys at, at Last Stop Waterfowl sent you. But, guys, that's it for this week's show. Uh, you know, I know it was a little gloomy, a little darker this week, but it's something that I felt we had to talk about. When you have a story like this break into national headlines as outdoorsmen, we have got to discuss it with you. Um, that's what we do. We discuss outdoors. We discuss waterfowl hunting. We discuss 
you know, any story related to outdoors and fishing. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I know we enjoy spending time with you as always. Um, we'll catch you probably next week. We'll have some a new show for you guys. And until next time, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors signing off.